0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends
1: and the Leads Art Week. Hello and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Kiri Masters. Kiri is the founder of Bobsled Marketing, where she partners with brands to help them grow their Amazon revenue. On this episode, Curie talks all things Amazon marketing and lays out how to create a great Amazon marketing strategy for brands of any size. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click the link in the show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison.
2: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. We have on the other line, Kerry. what's going on?
3: Hey, Ian, great to talk with you. Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, it's great to have you on. I am super excited to talk about bobsledding today. Just kidding. You're the founder (laughs) of Bobsled Marketing and one of the experts at all things Amazon. So we're going to be talking about your book, Amazon for CMOs. This is a wonderful resource for senior marketing and retail executives that are trying to figure out Amazon. Maybe you think you know stuff, maybe you don't. So we're going to get into all of that stuff. But first, how did you get into marketing in the first place?
3: Well, I have a uh, my bachelor degrees in marketing and I went into to banking right out of college. I'm Australian. That's where the accent is from. That's the question that everyone first has. And I was in banking for a few years, ultimately moved to New York and worked at JP Morgan doing strategy and uh, ultimately sales. And during that time, I, I launched a, a side business in the e-commerce space, which was sort of craft supplies. And I really loved that and eventually launched some of those products on Amazon, found Amazon. This is back in 2013. Amazon was a bit of a black box, especially back then, but figured a few things out. And when I would speak with my clients at the bank about their Amazon channel for those clients who were branded manufacturers, they had no clue how things worked and and what to do with their Amazon channel. So I decided, well, I could probably go off and start consulting for these brands while I built my little craft supplies empire at the same time. And that's exactly what I did. But the the Amazon consulting quickly outpaced the craft supplies and Bobsled Marketing was born as an agency to help these branded manufacturers navigate Amazon, protect their brands, grow their sales. And uh, today... We service about 55 clients and have about 25 staff at Bobsled Marketing.
2: Wonderful. And congratulations on the success. So let's share some of those insights. First, you know, you wrote a book, Amazon for CMOs. Why did you write the book? What was the thing that you saw that people needed to know?
3: So the reason why I got together with my co-author, Mark Power, to write Amazon for CMOs is that at the executive level of mid-size to larger organizations, there is a little confusion and divergence in what is the right Amazon strategy for my brand. And so... A lot of larger brands go headfirst into Amazon. They really embrace all of the programs and the different marketing opportunities and the fact that they can reach customers quite effectively. And other brands are really resistant to Amazon. They have ignored the opportunity for a long time and don't have a strategy. And then somewhere in between in this spectrum, there's brands that sort of have a half in, half out philosophy with Amazon, which can, in in truth, be quite effective depending on how you do it. But there was such a range in approaches to Amazon and some hesitation on the part of some CMOs and retail executives that we decided to put a book together that really summarized our own experiences over the last few years in operating Amazon channels for brands and then also bring in the voice of the industry as well. So we interviewed about 15 CMOs and retail executives to get their perspectives on what Amazon is to them, how they leverage it, how they invest in innovation, how they get their various teams on board. And we created this this book that really addresses the whole Amazon imperative from a senior executive standpoint.
2: Yeah. So what were some of the key insights that you found in researching the book?
3: Yeah. So one is this sort of Amazon spectrum, which I, which I just touched on. But just to get into a little bit more detail on that, because I think that it's helpful to call out some examples here. There's some brands who are actively invested, I'd say, and have embraced Amazon. There's some that are semi-invested. There's some who are ignorant. And there are some who are actively uninvested with a strategy. So just to call out some examples here for actively invested there is a consumer tech accessory company called Anker that's the German pronunciation it's Anker to me <laughs> are you familiar with that brand
2: No I don't think so
3: Okay so this this brand is sold in 30 different countries at Best Buy in airport lounge um, stores. So quite ubiquitous in the world of consumer tech accessories and only 10 years old. And they were an Amazon only company for about the first five years of their life. And this is really phenomenal example because this is an extremely competitive category, especially on Amazon as well. There's so many you know, direct manufacturers who are selling direct to consumers in this category. But what they did was they really leaned into Amazon. They took everything they could out of that platform, including mining customer reviews for insights about what kind of product specs their customers were looking for, what didn't exist in the market yet, what were their frustrations with using competitors' products. And they built this massive, very successful business off the back of Amazon as their only sales channel. So that's an example of actively invested where a brand's really gone full feet in and both, both feet in, I think the phrase is. I like and, full, uh, feet <laughs> full feet in. Full feet in, not a half foot. So they're definitely a company I look to as being real pioneers with the Amazon platform. If we're talking about semi-invested, there's an example I like to call out, which is a footwear brand that, that I've personally worked with, that they want to control the brand experience on Amazon. They have a very specific type of footwear and they want to control the content and the storefront and run the ads to actually promote brand awareness. But they're quite happy to let their network of independent stores actually do all the fulfillment because they don't see that as a really valuable part of their operation. And they also want to keep their relationships with their independent stores alive and kicking. So they allow independent stores to actually do all the fulfillment through Amazon. And then the actively uninvested with a strategy category, which is the other end of of the spectrum. We've got a few examples here of big direct-to-consumer brands that are popular today like Wabi Parker, Glossier, Away, and they've all sworn off Amazon. They say, we'll never be there. Don't even ask us about it. We're not going to sell on Amazon because we want to have the direct relationship with the customer. So that kind of product is really heavily based on personalization. And so it's sort of got Inherent defensibility built into the product. And so they are not on Amazon. So that's one thing that one really big takeaway from this book is that, hey, there's not a one size fits all approach to Amazon. There are lots of different uh, phases on the spectrum that you can operate in quite successfully.
2: We'll get into all three, but let's start with the last one first. Like, do you think that it makes sense to ignore Amazon completely?
3: Well, it depends. I think that, that in that case with Care Of, it's a product that is inherently defensible because of the personalization aspect. It can't be replicated on Amazon. And if a customer is really looking for a custom nutritional supplement, they're just not going to find it on Amazon. They, they want this company to do the hard work for them of figuring out what their nutritional profile should be. But there's other brands who don't have a really defensible product or USP. And I think that they're kind of kidding themselves if they say that customers don't want to buy their product on Amazon. So I would say in that category for a long time, and it's changing now, some of the big beauty brands have not been really active on Amazon for reasons that they assume that their shopper doesn't want to put a bottle of high-end fragrance in the same shopping cart as a package of toilet paper. But I think that that assumption is, they're starting to recognize that that assumption is uh, not always correct.
2: I mean, that sounds crazy to me, right? Like, I just so much of purchasing now that's considered online is you know, you get to a point where it's been sitting in your cart for like, you know, a year and a half and you're like, I'm going to f- I'm gonna pull the trigger on this pair of shoes that I that I wasn't going to buy. Um, yeah. Because, I'm, well, I'm already, <laughs> and we all do this, even though Amazon ships like packages right. separately and all that stuff. We're like, ah, I'm just going to do it all at once, right? Like yeah. I just, from my perspective, you know, if I want a pair of shoes that is only a certain type of shoes, yeah, I'll probably just go to their website and buy that. But if it was on Amazon and I could just, you know, add it to my cart, it might make a little bit more sense. It also gets into this stuff into customer loyalty, which we'll get into in a little bit. But if you have like the Amazon card or things like that, where you get cash back, it actually is advantageous to purchase with Amazon.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And the the big thing there and the reason why brands really need, if they have a resistance towards Amazon, they really need to think critically about this. And it's because... Amazon Prime counts fifty percent of u s household households as members. I don't think there is a private or public even a public utility that is in fifty percent of households. Can you think of any?
2: yeah, I mean I guess like the post office right <laughs> like, oh yeah yeah,
3: yeah that's yeah. a good one yeah. yeah i I ask a lot of people that question I've not heard that's a that's a good response actually. Like it or not, you need to use the US Post Office and the IRS, I guess. But this is a service that people are voluntarily paying for. And once you've paid that $120 a year or however much it is now, you're psychologically locked into maximizing that subscription. You get your orders in one or two days, depending on the product. If it's Prime eligible, there's that fantastic A to Z guarantee that if you're not happy and You can't work it out with the merchant, then Amazon will step in and refund you. Like it's just a no risk way of purchasing. In addition, your credit card details are saved there, your address is saved there. There's no, it's such a frictionless checkout experience. And often people will have like their, Friends and parents' addresses saved in there as well, so the arduous task of rekeying your credit card number or your address that's all taken away with Amazon, so I think that that convenience factor is really underestimated by some brands who believe that shoppers will always be willing to come back to a third party site and do the transaction there and that's just people are lazy, people are lazy, and they want the comfort of knowing that whatever happens to the product, if they don't like it for whatever reason, they'll get a refund.
2: Yeah. So I, I want to use a practical example, one that we use all the time on the show, which is a drinking game for uh, for our, my producer. He takes a, <laughs> a shot of water every single time. I We got to hydrate, you know, every time I bring up <laughs> Yeti. But um, let's take like Yeti, for example. So Yeti uh-huh. had built this powerhouse brand that has a really, really good customer experience. They yep. do all sorts of fun stuff. They have great content that they push out. They sell on Amazon, right? So I'm curious, like if we were to go back in time to that decision point of hmm. do we want to sell direct or do we want to also add Amazon? Like what is the what are the pros and cons of each in your opinion?
3: Well the pros are all the Things that we just talked about with the Prime program and the lock in effect that Amazon has on 50% of the population, really. So, we know that 50% of US households have Prime, and that 50% of all e commerce orders are made through Prime, through Amazon as well. So, if you're a brand that has any aspirations in e commerce, and to be fair, not all of them do, but if you want to do e commerce, Amazon's already got 50% of all gross merchandise volume going through their platform. So that is why you want to consider Amazon just because that is where people are shopping. And Amazon's used sort of as a default search engine when people want to buy stuff. So a lot of I think again it's like over 50% of product related searches initiate on Amazon rather than Google or other search engines. So that's why you want to be there just because that's where all the action is happening. The drawbacks are also quite compelling. If you want to have a direct relationship with a customer, that's not generally possible on Amazon. Um, Those are Amazon's customers and they make it very clear in their terms of service that you cannot contact Amazon's customers. You cannot remarket to them. You cannot drive them off the site through flyers in your packaging or anything on your product page that refers to an outside website or email or something like that. Um, So those are Amazon's customers. And so if you want to learn about your shoppers or, you know, have a relationship with them, that's not really possible through Amazon's channel.
2: Also the monetary side of things, which is the percentage that you're potentially losing. Is that a, is that how big of a factor does that play in?
3: Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think it depends on your alternatives as well. So on the third-party marketplace side of things where you're selling to Amazon's customers, but sometimes with the help of Amazon's fulfillment network as an intermediary, then Amazon's generally across most categories taking a 15% cut of the sale. So if you're selling a product for $100, they'll take 15% as a commission essentially. And then there are fulfillment fees on top of that if you're using their network. So that is considerable. But also consider the fact that you don't, unlike through your own e-commerce site, you're not paying credit card processing fees or dealing with chargebacks necessarily. You've also got a much higher conversion rate on Amazon than you do on a third-party site just because of the trust factor. So I think I don't think that many brands complain about the 15% referral fee. That seems fair to most brands because of the value that they get back from it in terms of the shopper is at the end of their purchasing journey. Essentially, they know what they're going to buy. They're highly likely to, to buy something when they go on the site.
2: So do you think that if you are building a relationship with a customer on your site, that it is like mutually exclusive. Like, are you like when Yeti is bringing all those people to their site, right. And building a relationship with all those people and the fact that people have an option to buy on Amazon, do you think that like, it ends up pulling a ton of traffic away from your site to be able to opt like offer both? Or do you think that you're getting access and like unlocking a new group of people that are now considering your product that wouldn't before? And I know there's tons of nuance to this stuff. So I know you don't have like a one size fits all answer, but I just mean like generally speaking, like what are the calculations that people go through to figure this stuff out?
3: Let's do a real life case study. If you were planning to replace your Yeti Tumblr, would you go to Amazon or would you go to the Yeti website? I'd go to Yeti. You would. Okay.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, why would you go to the Yeti website?
2: Just because I already have my credit card information and all that stuff already in there. And they okay. already, you know, they email me. I, I have a relationship with the brand. All okay.
3: that stuff. Well, that, that's a good sign. I think that to your point, Yeti has built a really strong brand. They're very trusted. You've purchased from them before you have a relationship with them. So you're more apt to go back and continue that relationship directly. And I also, say, yeah. well,
2: no, I would add to this too. This is one yeah. of the benefits, you know, I got like a promo item and uh-huh. they're, you know, as part of the promo, you get like a, uh, like a free ice pack or something like that. And so I, it didn't come and I messaged them, and I was like, Hey, I didn't get the, this thing. And they're like, Oh, that was because you had, you know, family and friends discount. So it actually isn't available for that, but we'll just send you one anyways. And yeah. like, send one in the mail. And I was like, man, that is the value of having a direct relationship with your customer, right? Because you can then send them free stuff. You can do things like that. You can Mm. do uh, rewards and advantages and build a customer loyalty program and all that sort of thing.
3: Right, right. Well, that is a really great example of a brand that has built up so much equity that they probably have a thriving e-com channel and they certainly do have a thriving Amazon channel as well because i think for every customer like you there's someone who hasn't bought from yeti before and they are initiating their product search on amazon exactly or they have they're familiar with the brand but they want the convenience of the prime program or that you know their credit card is not saved on yeti.com but it is on amazon so people will check out on amazon for lots of other reasons if they don't have a relationship with the brand and i'll also say that let's say yeti wasn't on amazon and someone searches specifically for a yeti tumbler but yeti's not on there cuz they don't they don't sell directly one of two scenarios is going to happen a an enterprising individual or reseller or someone is going to pick up that product in a store and resell it on amazon probably with different product content than yeti would use probably with like inadequate imagery Possibly, at a very different price point than Yeshi wants to sell at, and that becomes a brand protection issue because you've got you think that you 're not on Amazon, but hey, guess what? do a search for your brand and products on amazon you 'll probably find them, but they 're being misrepresented by some random third party so that 's one issue with not being active on Amazon. And the second is if, if that's not the case or you know that third party is not doing a very good job, then your other competitors, and this is a very competitive category, they're going to be bidding on your keywords with paid search uh, advertising, and they're going to be trying to rank in search results for that keyword as well, Yeti Tumblr. So you're potentially driving your prospective customers into the arms of your competitors if you don't have a robust Amazon strategy as well. So, it, it, yeah. So yeah, no, a it's way, a great, you... no, it's a great
2: point. I mean, but mm-hmm. I think that, you know, and we'll get into the SEO stuff now. I think this is a really important point because if people are using Amazon like a search engine and they're searching for, you know, in this example, Yeti Tumblr, and if they weren't on Amazon, then it is just going to be a list of, competitive products. And if they if they primarily shop on Amazon and they don't want to go through the multiple steps of like going into someone else's funnel and going through their whole customer experience, like the easier thing to do is just buy a cheaper alternative or just an alternative in general.
3: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Because that customer, if they're already searching on Amazon... They're in a frame of mind to either be researching and doing comparisons, or to to buy, and so you might dismiss that opportunity.
2: So, what are some of the SEO like best practices or things that you've seen, or things that people need to be aware of when it comes to you know building an SEO presence on Amazon? Is it similar to Google? Is it different?
3: It's similar in principle. It's a search engine. It's driven by slightly different factors, and both Amazon and Google keep their Search algorithm you know hidden in a secret trapdoor in the middle of <laughs> in the middle of their building or something like uh, even internally within Amazon, people don't know what the algorithm is unless you're actually an engineer on that team but regardless there there are factors that go into it which are obvious, like keyword relevancy, so if I'm searching for a stainless steel vacuum flask then if you have those keywords in your title or the description or the bullet points, then you're more likely to show up in the search results. So that's a really obvious one. Another one that's less obvious and sometimes a surprise to brands is the fulfillment method. And Amazon places a lot of weight on their Prime program because they know that people really trust it. People have a really good shopping experience when they buy Prime eligible items. And so they will definitely reward Prime eligible items in the search results. So to get Prime eligibility on your products, you need to either be a vendor selling wholesale to Amazon or you need to be in their fulfillment by Amazon program where you ship your inventory to Amazon's warehouses and they pick back and ship each item that goes out to the customer so they control the fulfillment aspect of it. So some brands, when they first get started, if they have a warehouse and fulfillment capability, they don't want to use Amazon's fulfillment because it costs them a little bit extra and they're not utilizing their existing fulfillment operation that they're paying for so they're reluctant to use um fulfillment by amazon or fba but ultimately we find i mean at bobsled we find an increase of like two to five times the volume once a brand shifts from fulfilling themselves to allowing amazon to fulfill those orders
2: well i mean that's one of those classics like are you a product company or a Uh, fulfillment company, right? Right. I mean, I think a (laughs) lot of people that have made really amazing products don't want to focus all of their effort on fulfillment or, you know, supply chains or all those sort of things. You know, is there any other kind of fulfillment related issues that you've seen with companies where they could like decrease the amount Mm. of headcount that they have on fulfillment because of this or like reorg their companies or, you know, shift strategies or something like that. It's so, it's so interesting to me to, to imagine that you could potentially like reorder part of your company or maybe not. I don't know. Mm.
3: Yeah, I think you certainly can. I mean, Amazon's fulfillment costs are not, I don't think that they it's a profit center for Amazon. Like they're not making tons of money off their fulfillment network. It's more like, it's kind of like AWS. They built this fulfillment capability internally to be able to handle their own orders. And then they decided to scale it up and resell it to merchants. And actually what what you can do is use Amazon's fulfillment capabilities, not only for orders, placed on Amazon, but also on your third party website as well. And even other channels like eBay. So you can actually have Amazon fulfill orders for your Shopify site as well. I'm not sure, especially if you're a larger brand that you're going to just like shut your warehouse down and rely on Amazon. That seems to be a little bit too (laughs) much risk for most brands to uh, want to take on. But uh, yeah, you could certainly downsize your fulfillment operation if you wanted to or look at it as an um, extension. And actually, we've got a client who is who sells food products and during the holidays, they have very giftable products. During the holidays, they have enormous sales volumes and if they run out of inventory, they switch over to the fulfillment by Amazon on their website and so they they can still get orders out to customers if they've got inventory at Amazon but not at their warehouse Um, and then they can also use Amazon's one or two-day delivery as well so they'll send out an email to their mailing list to say hey it's December 21 you can't place an order on our site and expect it to be delivered by Christmas Eve but you can order on Amazon and it will arrive according to their guaranteed Delivery time, so it can work out pretty well, but you have to be really because you're going to have inventory in two different locations now. Some at Amazon and some at your fulfillment, your own fulfillment network. You need to be really organized with um, inventory planning.
2: Yeah. So, final question: What about organizing your Amazon team? Like, what should that mm. look
3: like? Well, one mistake I see some brands making is that they try and hire one Amazon Pro to do it all. And if they can especially hire someone like an ex-Amazonian, they feel like, well, that person should be able to handle our PPC advertising and doing all of our content and doing all of our inventory planning and handling all the reviews and all these things. And in reality, there are so many specialties within that managing an Amazon channel that you really want a, a subject matter expert to be handling discrete parts of it. So for example, the people on our team that handle Amazon pay-per-click advertising have very special brains and thought processes and ways of working with spreadsheets and data that I wouldn't want them working on, you know, customer service, for example. And there's there's so many things to know and keep up with and new programs and new rules across different Amazon sort of disciplines that you really want to have like a team of people working on this. So depending on the size of the company and the size of your Amazon channel, in some really large companies, they will have a whole team of Amazon channel specialists and someone running the ads and someone running the inventory planning and someone managing the relationship with Amazon. That's all great. But, you know, for companies with hundred million or less in revenue, that's really not, necessary in most cases. So they benefit more from working with a a consultant or an agency to fill out their very specialized areas of working with Amazon, like PPC advertising, where they may not need a full uh, FTE.
2: Okay. This is actually the last question or last before we get in the lightning round. What about for B2B? Does any of this matter for B2B brands?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think Amazon is Certainly, aware that the, the B2B e commerce market is twice the size of the consumer market. And in fact, they just launched a B2B private label brand of their own about a month ago. So, this is a Amazon has a suite of private label brands that they either own or they have partnered with manufacturers on. So, everything from they've got several beauty brands, there's the Lady Gaga beauty brand that they collaborated with her on. That's an Amazon exclusive. They've got furniture and clothing and everything. And they launched their very first B2B brand, which was in the paper products category. So tissues, toilet papers, hand towels for big offices and public restrooms and things like that. So I think that they are aware of the size of this market. They've also developed a Amazon business platform, which is supposed to integrate with a lot of high-volume procurement systems so that they can start selling to governments, hospitals, military, smaller enterprises as well. So I think that they really want to capture this market. Amazon's a little... They're careful around releasing data that gives anyone much of an idea of what's going on, particularly in this area. But I believe that they really want to get into more enterprises as well. And we do find that depending on the product, that quite a few sales come in through Amazon's B2B system that you can see through some reports in seller central to see what proportion of your sales came from business buyers. And it it does seem to be going up every year. They're getting more and more cut through there.
2: All right, let's get into the lightning round. These questions fast and easy, just like lightning fast B2B marketing with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. We love Pardot. Check them out. They're great. And they support this show. So for listeners like you, lightning round questions. Kiri, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun?
3: Oh, uh, LinkedIn.
2: Favorite vacation spot? The Mira. Favorite thing to cook or eat?
3: Anything in an instant pot.
2: What is your favorite campaign that you've ever run or seen somebody run?
3: Um, I've got Amazon's um, paper products on my brain right now. I think that they actually did a really good job with with that product line.
2: What's a piece of advice for someone who's launching a book on Amazon?
3: Oh, uh, The rules are a little bit different with launching books than with launching regular products. So you can get a little bit more aggressive with asking for product reviews.
2: Ooh, that's a good one. Any, well, I guess any tips for, uh, for getting product reviews if you're not a book?
3: Be super squeaky clean. Don't ask friends and family. Don't ask colleagues. Just don't like, don't try anything fancy at all because this Amazon looks at it as a very serious incursion if they believe that you've incentivized reviews or done anything shady at all. So read up on what is allowed. And if anything looks a little bit too exciting, it's probably not a good idea. And I just strongly (laughs) advise anyone against doing things like, um, you know, paying for reviews or refunding people for reviews or anything like that.
2: Do you have a hidden talent or passion or maybe something you just like to do for fun?
3: Well, my so my first company It's a craft suppliers company and we started out with DIY lamp making kits. So I'm actually really, and my first book was about this as well, about making lamps and rewiring antique lamps.
2: No kidding. That's crazy.
3: (laughs) Yep. You got to start somewhere.
2: That's that's really interesting. <laughs> I have a very old lamp. I have one of those lamps on my desk that's like from, I don't know, probably like the 50s or something. It's one of those like uh-huh. green ones that you would probably find in like an old library yeah. or whatever. And uh, boy, does it put off a lot of light. I'll say that.
3: Nice. Is it a banker's lamp? Yeah, like I think the, so. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, I think so.
3: Nice. Yeah. It's
2: probably worth nothing. But <laughs> it was sitting, hold on, I need to search banker's lamp now because this is... Yeah, it's a banker's lamb. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and it's got to be like easily 50 years old. Anywho, uh, okay, what is your best advice for a first-time CEO?
3: Uh, can I answer this question if I've not? <laughs> no, let me, let me start over. Oh, gosh, that one really threw me. You said that there would be no trick questions, Ian. <laughs> I, I never. I
2: don't ne, there, I never said there would be no trick questions.
3: <laughs> um, hmm. You need to prioritize what's important, not necessarily what's urgent.
2: Oh, I like that. Last question: What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often?
3: How to rewire antique lamps.
2: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I, that I do not know how to do. That's so interesting. What a what a useful skill.
3: Yeah, you know, yes, I, I don't do so much of it anymore. But um, yeah, that's actually my first book on Amazon. So I've got two books about Amazon and one book about how to rewire antique lamps.
2: Love it. Kiri, this has been awesome. Any final things? Anything to, to plug? Well, everyone should definitely check out AmazonForCMOs.com. That's where you can find the book. And you can just sign up to get the free Kindle version, right?
3: Yeah. So we're launching on September 24th. So, and the launch week is that Tuesday through to Saturday. So you can actually get the Kindle version for free during that week. Um, and then if uh, you're listening to this after the show, you can still go to Amazon, Amazon for CMOs.com to learn about the book or else you can just find it on Amazon.com if you search for my name, Kiri Masters, or if you just search for Amazon for CMOs.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out.
3: Thanks, Ian. Great to be with you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot. World class marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting Pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in the show notes.